0: Hello and welcome to From the Peak with hosts Howie Outerbridge and Peter Sonier where innovators, leadership gurus, and plain old awesome people are interviewed to hear how they have gained clarity in their lives and improve their view from the peak. Hello, and welcome to From the Peak. I am host Howie Outerbridge, uh, before we get started, I, I would like to acknowledge that the Logan HR offices are on the traditional, ancestral, and unceded territory of the Squamish, tsleil and Musqueam nations. And I am truly grateful to the stewards of these lands for the ability to work, learn, exercise, and have just engaging conversations with people like Julie on them. So thank you. And so I, ha- I am here with Julie Vilu, who is the vice president of the Vilu Foundation, which we're going to hear more about, of course, in, in detail shortly. But Julie, I know you're somewhere in Mongolia. Tell us exactly where you are and what the heck the Gobi Gallop and the Blue Wolf Totem expeditions are.
1: Uh, thanks for having me, Howie. I'm lovely to be here. Uh, Mongolia, I am. Precisely uh, in Muren, which is a small city of about, I think, 10,000 people, maybe, uh, in the northernmost province of Mongolia. The province is called Khalsgård, and I am about 1,800 kilometers into a 3,600 kilometer horseback expedition across Mongolia, um, heading in the next couple of days up to see the Tsatan people, which is the remote uh, reindeer herding tribe, Um, taking a bunch of people with me. I have 17 people from around the world coming on this expedition, and uh, it's a charity expedition to raise money for our work here with the children. The Blue Foundation works with families and children who scavenge in the garbage dump here in Mongolia to survive. And we, um, so we're, that's the Blue Wolf Totem Expedition is what we're in the midst of. It's a record-setting expedition. I'd like to say record-breaking, but Um, I haven't been able to find uh, a record for the (laughs) longest, you know, horseback expedition. So I think this must be it. And um, we are, you know, we, it's sort of the culmination of a several years work. We've been doing the Gobi Gallop, which is, um, and I can say this confidently, it is the longest annual charity horseback ride on the planet. We do um, 700 kilometers in 10 days, um, usually every June. And uh, we do that to raise money for the, the kids who scavenge. And so the the, the Gobi Gallup in the ten years that we've been doing it has raised about six hundred and forty thousand U.S. dollars, and um, and the Blue Wolf Totem were up at a little over a hundred thousand um, dollars U.S. I have to have to make of that course. note. just yes. <laughs> it makes it different these days. And um, so anyway, so that's 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 where I am and what I'm doing and uh, yeah. and what the expeditions and whatnot are about.
0: Wow. Well, I, I you know I, I know the listeners will appreciate just some of the the scope of the trip, right? Thirty six hundred kilometers. You're eighty four days. You're on day forty one, and truly a historical undertaking. So you know I really appreciate you making time for us, and, and congratulations on the funds that you've raised for for the families and and your charity. Um, so I I know again you've come forty one days, uh, which gives us a chance yeah. to sort of you know you can look in the rear view and see where you've come and and of course look look forward and see what comes next but you know i'm always curious Like, how do you go about planning the route and with such a, a large um entourage
1: i mean the route planning actually was it's a it was a labor of love for three years You'll we could say so the initial the very beginning part of it um the the idea was basically to go from the the south the north end of Mongolia to the south end of Mongolia. And I was sitting around with the guides and they wanted, you know, they wanted to organize this kind of expedition. And I said, well, you know, like if we're going to do a big thing like that, where are some of the places that you guys have wanted to go to that you have never been to? So we we plotted a bunch of things on the map that were places where everybody wanted to go to. Um, and then we connected the dots, and then and then the process was to find out what was interesting and cool and wonderful and amazing and fantastic. So we we drove several, um, you know, we, I think we had nine different route scouting expeditions that we went on to go out, and we basically would you know go out and drive around and find usually old men on horses out in the field and ask them what's the cool thing out here that nobody knows about. And so we found some very very interesting things as a result. It is. uh, We got stuck a number of times as a result trying out roads. Because of course, you know, you got to you go and you try a route and you see how it is. And sometimes it's good and sometimes it's not so good. (laughs) Sometimes it looks good on the map and then it's not so good on the map. And so, uh, yeah. So basically, for three years, I was lucky enough basically to be stuck in Mongolia for most of COVID, and uh, spent a good portion of that with my Mongolian partners out in the wilderness, just you know finding. Finding, you know, the the focus of the ride is is, the hashtag is Ride Like Chinggis and Chinggis, of course, is Chinggis Khan, who you probably will know as Genghis Khan. And the focus of the ride is to cover as much history and culture and um, uh, beautiful nature as possible across Mongolia. We are looking at, you know, we're traveling the lands of the five major tribes that united under the flag of Mongolia with Chinggis Khan. Uh, we're going to all the biomes so we've been to the desert and the the steppe and the mountains and we're heading off tomorrow into the tag which is the arboreal rainforest which actually the largest organism on the planet part of it is in canada we'll leave it up up north so the um there's just there's a lot of different focuses on it but basically it's to try and encapsulate as much of what is spectacular about this land which is the least populous country on the planet so you know there's a very there's a very great sense as you traverse here especially on horseback that you know you're, you're you're going across the world the way the world was you know like for millions of years and you know the nomadic people have lived lightly on the land and not really haven't screwed it up shall we say <laughs> so it's it really is still very much like it was it's a it's a really it's a really magical feeling to be out there and Seeing you know there's a, there's the historical things that they have here all the way from you know prehistory, Bronze Age, Stone Age, the monuments and you know deer stones and people stones and all kinds of burial sites and um, celebration sites and whatnot. They they're just there on the land, and so you could actually just ride your horse right up to, you know, these like the deer stones, for example. No one knows really who did them. They're very very ancient. Wow. They're and it's, you know, anyway. That's just one of those things that the the preparation for it really meant scouring everything that was, you know, on the road or close to the road we're going to find out what what we could add in that would, you know, best represent all that is, you know, and has been and will continue to be Mongolia.
0: i just have this image of you sort of scouting things out and you're you know you're you're connecting with you know old men in the fields right and asking them what what is unique or what is what is um uh, you know what should we see here and just piecing it together in that way that's um that's amazing i mean you're really getting a chance to see the country and interact with people in such a unique manner um every day much must be such a rich experience uh, I, I certainly enjoyed, um, and we'll we'll put this link so other people can tap in and, and follow along, but on your Blue Wolf Totem Expedition, the Facebook feed, the video of Percy the Pit Viper, of course, slithering away from the loo. So, <laughs> so you know, Percy today, um, what do you have to look forward to tomorrow? Hopefully no more Percy's. <laughs> Honest, honestly,
1: it's, uh, yeah, we... I mean, I knew that there's snakes in one but I didn't really know there was poisonous snakes. And then it said to find a poisonous snake uh, in the in the bathroom was a bit it was a bit of a surprise. Um, the next night, we found one in the like in the tent. So wow. uh, didn't didn't post a video of that. One of the girls slept with it under her sleeping bag. Fortunately, she's a an excellent outdoors person, and she was pretty she was pretty chill about it. Um, you know coming up of course we you know we're going to reindeer people and so to get there it's a really spectacular trip over very high mountain passes and through absolute wilderness and so there's all sorts of wildlife up there you know things that we would be familiar with in Canada like bears and moose and wolves and things like that so we have a lot of that um a lot of that to look forward to, if you can look forward to it. Um, but mostly the, you know, getting to the reindeer people, they um, they live in things that are very much like teepees, um, still do the tri- traditional nomadic uh, um, following of the, the reindeer herds around, you know, uh, with the grazing. So we have that. Um, following on from that, we have uh, just the most beautiful place we're ready we're going past a place where there's a a sand dune that's about 300 meters high and so you're standing looking at this huge wall of sand and out of the bottom comes this huge river is flowing under the sand dune so it's like it's like a miracle really that that, that could happen um yeah and i mean honestly the the natural beauty that we're going to be seeing is is unbelievable and then when we get over to the west side we have the eagle hunters and so we're going to be having a uh, an eagle festival, they're putting on a special festival for us. Uh, and then we'll be we'll be going um, to Alta Tabanbog, which is the highest peak in uh, Mongolia. And it's the place where the border of Russia, China, and Mongolia all meet. So that's going to be the finale of the trip, basically. And so that's uh, July 19th. And then it takes us three days to drive from there back to the capital city of Ulaanbaatar, you know, where we... Uh, Where our head office and everything is
0: yeah that's amazing i mean that you're still like you've got so much ahead of you and you've come you've come so far and saw so much already so that's that's incredible now i know we talked about um changing the horses right so that's happening tomorrow um, how often does do you change horses on this trip so um
1: using our horses so our horses it's um the company that that we're working with is called horse trek mongolia uh, and they're good friends of mine, and I've worked with them for a very long time um, with the uh, the Gobi Gallop, and their horses are some of the best horses in all of Mongolia. So the, their horses, um, the first section, their horses did 1,400 kilometers, and then uh, and then we changed horses to to local horses. Uh, the local horses only basically do 500 kilometers in a stretch. So we and the, you know they're they're wilder than. You know the horse track Mongolia horses, not as well trained or maintained, honestly, because the the horses at Sarambagi from horse Track Mongolia they're fed and ridden all winter, so they're um, they're much more uh, they're much more prepared, you know, for an undertaking like this. Uh, but these horses have been really great that we have, and so when you we're going to be training about every 500 kilometers now for the rest of the trip, so that's about okay. every 10 days, we're averaging about 50 kilometers a day. But it is chaos because we, you know, we have so many people riding. We take two horses per rider, so it is forty horses coming and forty horses leaving. And so <laughs> there's um, usually simultaneously, um, and I'm, you know, we're always hopeful that the ones that are leaving are the ones that are supposed to leave, and the ones that are staying are the ones that are <laughs> yeah. supposed to stay. Uh, but the the guides are phenomenal, really amazing, um, and they they have no issue or problem sorting that all out and and whatnot. I mean, there's always, of course, there's always drama because. 40 horses from herds that have not met each other yeah. uh you know there, there tends to be a lot of you know social interaction shall we say but um <laughs> yeah. yeah no so that's how ha- that's happening um that's happening tomorrow we'll be getting all our all our new horses and the ones we've been riding which we've been riding um on them now like i said uh today will be uh 510 kilometers i think so that will be um they'll be and they'll just be herded back to where they came from so they're those ones aren't getting on a truck those ones are just the the herders who are with us from you know who who own the horses they'll be they'll just be herding them back home so they'll be taking a few days to to just trot them home again which is you know pretty impressive a thousand kilometers um, incredible you know in in a couple of weeks for these horses
0: well I mean let's talk about you know so you're multiple horses you're able to change up multiple horses and unless you there's something that you haven't told me about your potato head body where you can swap out body parts right like you've got one body for this whole trip so i gotta ask how is it holding up
1: i, I yeah i do have one body it's like a, it, and the body was talking to me seriously loudly for the first you know two or three weeks i have to say <laughs> i mean i'm actually one of the lucky ones because i live in mongolia full time and so and i have horses and so i i have lots of opportunities to ride to get ready um That's i'm not of- i'm not 21 anymore so that uh, you know age does you know take its toll, but uh I'm feeling really good now actually really um you know you just get progressively stronger and stronger and stronger yeah. and i mean that's true i i'm i'm almost sixty two now and so and it's as true now as it was earlier i mean the um it getting on and off the horse much easier now it's now like doing the the other day we did a sixty eight kilometer day and it really it it's really not it's not difficult uh it it really is true. If you use your body, it will serve you well. And so, and I think everybody, you know, we have 20 kids all the way from 20 all the way up to 70 on this ride. Right. And so, uh, and everybody's feeling the same way. Everybody after the first three weeks or four weeks, they're just like, this is easy. And so, you know, I mean, your body will do what, what is asked of it. And so it's a, it's a good reminder. I think for people that, yeah. If you use your, bodies are designed to be used so yeah but yeah. there was chafe there was, there was chafe. Chafe. not for me i don't not for me i i've mastered how not to get chafe over the years but there was some pretty pretty big chafe one of our hashtags is chafe for charity and um chafe for some charity. of the, some some of the some of the girls were like i'm just gonna take a picture and put this on the internet i said i don't think you can i think <laughs> i think i think that's illegal but um yeah yeah there was definitely some chafe
0: yeah Well, I mean, you know, there, there there's so many parallels um, and I've got to point out, you know, of course, like in Canada, we talk about Terry Fox, right. And his 143 consecutive marathons. And every day he got up and he ran a marathon, no matter how much pain he was in or what the weather was like. Um, In fact, you know, we have a saying in my family, when one of us don't want to exercise because of the aches and the pains or the weather, we say, you know, what would Terry do? And so I guess we have to change that to what would Julie do now? (laughs) But um, But you know, uh, just <laughs> just as with Terry know. Fox, you know there's more there's a more to it than the stunning scenery and the sense of adventure driving you, many people that know you and you've already made the connection for our listeners um the connection between what you're doing and the children of the peak. so tell us a bit more about your charity
1: so the the charity is um well it's the reason behind all of this the reason all of this happened when we moved to mongolia we came to mongolia with uh, my husband and i came in 2010 I, and we already had the value foundation and it was working um in a small way as as a, as a as a small granting organization with some organizations in malaysia and india and we you know doing some stuff in the third world and so our mission is to you know basically help orphans and other similarly disadvantaged children in the developing world when we came to Mongolia, and you know, I mean, people from Canada will appreciate—it's uh, the coldest capital city on the planet. It's colder than Ottawa. So you have people who are scavenging in the garbage dump to survive. You know, at minus 40 and minus 50, and a lot of these are children. And so they're most of them live in gares, which you would maybe think of as a yurt, which are you know the traditional nomadic dwelling, which are really great when you're out on the steppe and you have a steady supply of dung to burn to keep warm at those temperatures. But a uh, felt a felt tent as soon as you take the fire out of the middle, you know, at minus 40, it very rapidly becomes, you know, uninhabitable. So we just found these children in just absolutely terrible, terrible situations. And so we decided we would do something about it. Um, the short version is that You know once you make a decision to do something it's amazing how the world will back up behind you if it's the right thing and so we ended up getting just a tremendous amount of support from a number of people Um, and so we we've ended up building uh, two kindergartens which is in Mongolia kindergartens are for um, three four and five-year-olds and in some cases for two-year-olds as well so basically it's preschool as well as kindergarten we uh, through the two kindergartens we have 350 children off of the garbage dump and being fed cared for and educated and because the goal of the, the project is to stop scavenging in the garbage dump before it becomes generational, because it's a very new problem in Mongolia. It's not something that has been institutionalized. It only happened in 1990. They were, um, they were a Soviet satellite. And when the Berlin Wall fell, one of the, the lesser known sort of um, echo booms of that was that the, the Soviets also left, They left Mongolia. That's a very that's a very different story. It's a very long story, and it, you know, became a uh, free market economy and a democracy. And there, uh, and one of the one of the unfortunate side effects was that you know people didn't have the safety nets that they had previously. So they began scavenging in the garbage to survive. Uh, we, in addition to the kindergartens, we have recently built a a, a library and community center, which is designed to do all of the things that libraries and community centers are uh, supposed to do. We have, um, you know, lots of classes and meetings and seminars and conversations happening in there. A lot of, most of the people that we're dealing with um, that we're helping are displaced herders who um, their animals have uh, frozen to death usually in a zud, which is a really bad winter, which used to happen once every 15 or 18 years and now is happening about once every five or six years. So uh, a lot of people losing their livelihood Coming into the the Gair district around Ulaanbaatar with really excellent life skills if they're living in the countryside but not really excellent life skills for being in the city. So uh, Mongolia has a lot of interesting systems. If you you are allowed to work and receive social services where you're registered. So these guys are all registered in the countryside, so they know, they're not able to get. The free medical they're not able to get kids can't go to school you know they can't get employment there's all sorts of things they can't do so we are trying to sort of be a bit of a bridge in that process giving them the tools that they need to be successful in the city Um, and then you know educating the kids giving the the parents an opportunity to go and get a job uh, and to get training and we you know we have a sewing center the friend london sewing center and that's uh training women off of the garbage dump and giving them a skill and making some really beautiful traditional Mongolian clothing as a result. And uh, we do have the Soaring Crane Summer Camp, which is for the older kids, because the kindergarten, we've had really tremendous success with the kids going to the kindergarten, um, continuing on in school. And, you know, when we first started the work, there was about about 20% of the, the children eligible, eligible for first grade went to first grade and almost none of them made it past first grade just okay. because without the, without the support of the family and the understanding of how the education system works, it's really difficult for a child to be successful academically. So now we're finding it like basically a hundred percent of the kids that graduate from the kindergarten are going on staying in school um, and being successful. And so at the community library, the Gandhi's Kids Community Campus, they, um, they have after-school homework help, so we have internet, we have qualified teachers, and so, you know, you think about it, if you're living in this, uh, poverty is one level of uh, difficulty, but access to services and information, yes. uh, yeah. you, know, you get the intersectionality of, uh, of discrimination, and so it's very difficult to have academic success. For example, if you're in sixth grade and your teacher says, you know, you need to go write, a, write an essay about, I don't know, Antarctica. If you don't have internet at home, you don't have any, um, you don't have a library, and you don't have any um, any books at home. How? What are you gonna write about Antarctica? You're gonna say Antarctica is a continent because you learned that in third grade, and that's your whole essay. So, yeah. the the educational support that we're providing to, to keep kids in school is basically the mainstay of you know breaking the chain of poverty.
0: Yeah, it's amazing that you've had such, uh, you've made such a difference at so many different levels. Um, with these, this very, these various initiatives, right? It's, it's incredible. And I know that uh, I would encourage our listeners and we'll post all of the links to um, some of the, the, the videos that they can see of, of the work and see the school and see um, the, the difference that you've made. But how, speaking of making a difference, how, like, what, what, can, what can the listener do to, to help you and help your cause, help the foundation?
1: So I mean I would encourage everybody to go to the website and the Facebook page and, and whatnot. Um at the on the website, uh, not only is there, you know, a list of all the projects programs and projects that we do, but uh, there is, you know, obviously there's direct links to donate. I'm mm-hmm. happy to say that 100 percent of the money donated goes, you know, to the charity because yeah. we don't take any we don't take any money for ourselves. Um, we also are always very open to people um people have amazing skills and amazing opportunities and people know stuff that we haven't even thought of. So we work with a lot of people internationally, you know, just on a volunteer basis, you know, with knowledge or in-kind donations. Um, also the really the, the greatest thing that, that people can do, you know, separate from all of the sort of direct support is just just share it because I truly believe that the bigger uh, bigger light that you shine on this problem the easier it's going to be to fix it you know because kids shouldn't be out at minus 40 you know picking garbage so that their family has something to eat and yeah. and it's not i mean in a in the global terms it's you know it's not an enormous problem just because the 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 level of uh the, the population is quite low so you know we're talking 500 or 600 families sort of thing so it's not it's not like you know, in other places where there's tens of millions of people, you know, doing it, but it is just that exceptionally harsh because it's so cold, you know, and we do every year, we lose people, they freeze to death, they they fall off of a garbage truck, they get run over, there's, um, there's, there's lots of things that, almost incidental tragedies that happen as a result of the fact that people are being forced into this situation. And so, um, so any any way that we can you know do it and move forward is um, there's a there's a really beautiful intersectionality that I feel I'm I'm privileged to be part of you know because I do get to stand and get to hear really great ideas and really great support and you know really really great stories from people from around the world and so it's if we all you know it's all it's all it's we've all heard it before but it's true if we all work together this is this will be simple we'll fix this.
0: You know that was really the driver for me um, as a as a professional and as someone we could do do a podcast and and circulate it to you know a different a different group a different audience and and raise awareness through this um, and you know Logan HR we will be making a donation to to you and oh, your yay. yeah yeah thank you thank you um, yeah you bet you bet um, now I want to just we're just coming to the end of our show is there anything else that you want to share uh, and you want our listeners to know uh,
1: I mean I guess. I guess the one thing I would just uh, I would really like people to think about the fact that the um, I mean, we we talked about how these adventures are like, you know, amazing undertaking great exped- expeditions and whatnot. Um, we also there's a whole raft of just regular horseback rides that we do that also raise money for the charity. And um, uh, it's a really beautiful way to come and explore. You don't have to be a tremendously great rider you know, we have it for all levels. Um, and, you know, knowing that if you if you come to Mongolia, you can experience the culture, have a truly authentic experience in a really safe fashion and help the children. And I should just put in a plug uh, for where I'm also, as soon as this, I've actually started a, a, a social enterprise as well called Moon's Gift Gers. So Gers being the, the, um, the, the nomadic yurt. And so uh, Sarah, who is also the co-owner of uh, Horse Trek Mongolia, she and I are, uh we're, we're making and selling gears around the world so really high quality um uh very beautifully hand-painted you know eco-friendly gears where, and for every gear that we sell we are going to be um given one to a homeless family um up uh, at the peak okay. yeah. so that's uh that's a, just a small self-promotional plug if anybody out there is looking it. for a yurt <laughs> a gear just go to moon gift, moon's gift gears and uh Uh, and we can uh, we can we can fix you up and you know that's another way that you can make a difference in the life of of a you know a family that in need in Mongolia which I I actually think is pretty cool that you know you can buy like a recreational home or you know an extra people are using them for all kinds of things you know art studios and whatnot in the backyard um, and and actually you know make a give a home to a homeless family so Anyway, just come see me. Come see and we'll go. We'll take you up to the peak. You can meet the kids. You can see it all.
0: For sure. Well, I, I haven't told you this, but my wife owns a travel business, a travel company, and so we travel oh, wow. uh, extensively. And so this is something that, um, you know, uh, my last podcast guest was uh, she owns a, a vineyard on the island. So when we go to the island, we're going to go stop and see her. And so you're, of course, wow. on the list. But I feel honestly, Julie, what we've covered today, I feel like we need a whole series um, just on the work that you've done. (laughs) Like we could spend I could spend hours listening to you talk about one of those one of those initiatives. And it's been really I do want to like thank you for for um you giving me the gift of time and um our listeners and letting letting us hear and travel with you. Uh it's really been amazing. We'll make sure that the links to things that we've talked about today are certainly you know on the description of the podcast so people can can click and donate and 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 interact with that. But I want to say, um, yeah, to our listeners from Julie, founder of Children of the Peak, and the Logan team here at From the Peak, uh, we say goodbye (laughs) and wish everybody well.
1: That's beautiful, Synergy. Thank you so much for having me. I had a really lovely time.
0: Okay, thanks, Julie. joining from the peak peter and howie look forward to exploring another topic with you soon and both wish you the best on your journey to the peak